So we had some interesting things happen in our government this week. There was a formal impeachment vote. Or, no, that's incorrect. A vote to start a public impeachment investigation. And it's been interesting kind of watching this. It started with a, a whistleblower over a phone call. And it had me thinking about, you know, when we're in these situations, when do we speak out? And how do we speak out? And to who, to whom do we speak out when we see something's wrong? And these questions are not just for the political areas of life. It's also personal. When do I say something to my family when something's not right? When do I say something to my friends when I say something, when I see something's not right? Because I don't want to ruin a relationship. I don't, and I also, on the other hand, don't want to see bad things happen to somebody that I could possibly warn them about, right? And so this month we're going to be going through the book of Philemon, very short book, but which is a story of a master and a slave, people with freedom and privilege, and how it's used to bring freedom. And the apostle Paul is speaking to actually both of these men in this letter. But before we get into that story, I want to start with the duty of reproving my neighbor. Because that's what that whole book, that letter is. It's a reproof. It's a correction for Philemon and Onesimus, the slave. And the sermon, the duty of reproving our neighbor, is actually a sermon by John Wesley. So I read his sermon before I wrote this sermon. I'm not just going to read John Wesley's sermon, but we will be quoting John Wesley. I want to give credit where credit is due. And John Wesley doesn't start with Philemon. He actually starts in the book of Leviticus. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19, that's where we're going to be. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Our main text is Leviticus 19.17. But Leviticus chapter 19 is actually another, basically, statement of the Ten Commandments in Leviticus. And in verses 1 through 8, It's like the first part of the Ten Commandments because Moses tells the people this is their duty to God. He says, there's only one Lord. There's only one God. And interesting, including with their duty to God, is respect your parents. I found that interesting. That was included with the duty to God. We're not going to get into that today, but he says, there's one God. Respect your parents. Keep the Lord's Sabbath. Don't make or worship idols and do our sacrifices properly. He says that's our duty to God. There's only one God. Respect your parents. Keep the Sabbath. Don't make or worship idols and sacrifice properly. Then from 9 through 16, he gives us the Israelites their duty to other people. He says, don't be selfish or hoard. Take care of the poor and take care of immigrants. Don't steal. Don't lie. In fact, don't just lie. Don't just not lie. Don't even be deceptive. Don't give false testimony. Don't oppress other people. Don't demean or make things hard for the disabled. Don't show partiality 
to the rich or to the poor. Don't slander. Don't put other people's lives at risk. So he gives them these rules that they've heard before, most of them. Some of these are a little bit more specific. And then we get to verse 17, which is not necessarily just another command add to the list. It's at the end because God is giving his people one of the, one of the means to keep all these commands. Leviticus 19.17, he says, Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. He gives them a gift here. He says, accountability. I'm just giving you this list of things that's our duty to God, and this list of things that's our duty to each other, and now hold each other accountable so you can actually do it. And how he starts this out, he starts this off by saying, don't hate my neighbor. Don't hate my neighbor. See, to knowingly allow sin without giving somebody warning, that's to hate someone. I don't punish my children before I give them instruction about what's right and wrong. To do so would be hateful. But also to instruct and discipline, that's loving. You know, can you imagine if I saw my daughters playing with matches and I just sat there thinking, boy, they're going to get burned. That, that's a, being a hateful father. That word hate, it doesn't just mean hate. It also means to literally make someone an enemy. It says, don't make your brother your enemy. Now remember, this is the law given to the Hebrews under Moses. And I hear, I've heard my whole life I've been in church, people talking about, well, we're not, we're not under the law, we're under grace. I agree. But one of the things that we have to realize is that the law given under Moses is such a low, low bar compared to grace. What does this part of the law say? It doesn't say, love your brother. It doesn't even say, act neutrally towards your brother. Love is up here. That's grace. Just don't hate them. That's the command. Just don't hate your neighbor. By the time Jesus comes around, and it's not just Jesus who says this, people are summarizing the law saying, love your neighbor. That's what the law is actually supposed to get us to do. But the actual text of the law is, just don't hate them. I'm not under the law, but man, I better just not hate. And then Jesus comes around and he says, love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy. That's living under grace. 
the law's a low bar here. You know, I couldn't get away with my wife if she said, honey, do you love me? And I said, I don't hate you. Or with my kids, I love you, daddy. I don't hate you. I couldn't get away with that with any of you in here, in this congregation. I'm your pastor, and I don't hate you. I really mean it. What a low bar that is. Just don't hate your brother. But here is where we have a cultural gap between the time of the law of Moses and today. Because the next step we're going to see is that to not hate someone, we have to speak up. And in our society, one of our newest crimes is hate speech. Now, we certainly shouldn't go around calling other people derogatory names or saying they should die. But today, so often hate speech is is taken as if you don't agree with my actions, if you don't agree with my opinion, if you don't agree with my lifestyle, then you hate me. So if I say anything contrary to somebody else, that's hate speech. But that's not biblical. So here is one area where we're going to see God's ways are not our ways, our society's ways. God says in the case of accountability, silence is hate speech. And I'm not to hate my brother. Low bar. Just don't hate him. Because accountability is an act of love. So, who's my neighbor? I've got to describe my neighbor. If I'm not supposed to hate my brother or hate my neighbor, who is it? That was a question that was asked to Jesus. Two different words are used in this verse, but I think they're describing very similar people just from different points of view. The first word is brother. That's someone with whom I have a kinship or some type of reciprocal relationship. For the people that were hearing the law at the time of Moses in Leviticus, it would be any other Hebrew. Anyone that was under the covenant, anybody else that had received the law, that's my brother. I have this reciprocal relationship with them. We're all part of God's people. We're all under the covenant. I need to not hate them. And then the other word used is neighbor. And this is a broader sense. It's another person with whom I associate. So it includes all those other people under the covenant. But... It's also anybody who that person out of the covenant might come in regular contact with. Not everybody that lived in Israel were Israelites. They were on a major trade route. So a Hebrew might tell another Hebrew strongly, don't work on the Lord's Sabbath. 
But a Hebrew might tell a Gentile that's living among them, hey, we don't work on the seventh day in honor of our God. So don't do business on on that day, or at least don't expect to do business on that day. In fact, if people see you working on the seventh day, they might be less inclined to do do business with you on the first day. Because that Gentile is not under the covenant. But it's like, you know what, you should know what's going on since I regularly associate with you. Basically, he's saying, any living person is my neighbor. John Wesley put it this way, every child of man, everyone that breathes vital air, all that have souls to be saved. That's why Jesus could stop at the tree where Zacchaeus was up and say, I'm going to your house. Why? Zacchaeus was his neighbor. You know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we know the priest and the Levite who pass on the side of the road are Jews. You have to be a Jew to be a priest or a Levite. We know the Samaritan who has compassion is a Samaritan, because Jesus says he's a Samaritan. We do not know the ethnicity of the man who was beaten and robbed. Jesus never says The Samaritan could have seen another Samaritan. The Samaritan could have seen a Jew. We have no idea. But this person was still alive, so this person was supposed to be a neighbor. Now, I did say potentially any living person, because John Wesley also, in his version of the sermon, points out Matthew 7, 6, where Jesus says, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. You need to remember there are some people who won't listen. It says we don't offer pearls. John Wesley calls them the sublime doctrines or mysteries of the gospel to people to whom you know to be brutish men, immersed in sins, having no fear of God before their eyes. His reasoning is that a person such as this already knows that what they're doing is evil. Solomon put it this way, Proverbs 9.8. Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Everybody remembers Mr. Rogers, right? Everybody is Mr. Rogers' neighbor. Everybody. But guess what? Only those who watched PBS actually heard him. So potentially everybody was his neighbor, but only those who listened to him were actually his neighbor. So my neighbor is everyone with whom I have some type of relationship. Realizing the depth of accountability that I have with someone varies with the depth of our relationship. I have a certain level of relationship with my blood family. I have a certain level of relationship with my Christian family. I have different levels of relationship with my friends or my associates. 
or my society. Perhaps one of the biggest errors we have as Christians, at least in the Western world, is that some of us try to speak accountability to a culture that we have completely disconnected from. It was interesting. We had two events within two weeks at this church, right around the in-between week. Last week we had the New Life Family Services Banquet, and then next week, or the end of this week, we have our, our event with Tubman. New Life Family Services is a good Christian organization. We've been partners with them for years and years. Tubman is a good organization as well, but they're a secular organization. They don't have all the same values as us. Jennifer and I went to the New Life Family Services Banquet, and it was good. It was for a good cause, but it was also mostly a bunch of Christians hanging out with each other. And then next Saturday, or this coming up Saturday, we're going, all of us that, you know, I think 14 of us, we're going to go hang out with people from Tubman, most of whom who don't know the Lord, and we're going to build relationships. And it's through those relationships that we can begin to speak the good news into their lives. See, since there's no accountability without relationships, in order to love, I need to make relationships with other people. You know, and that is part of the core of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God is our creator, so he has that relationship with us. God makes covenants with people, so he establishes relationships there. God became a human being, another level of relationship. And Jesus, God in the flesh, demonstrated to us and taught us what the law looks like fulfilled. Jesus just didn't go around not hating people. And then that life shows us that God did everything possible to have a relationship with us. Even to the point where God says, okay, I've, I've created you, I've made covenants with you, I've become a human being, I've shown you how to fulfill the law, you still can't keep it, I'll be your sacrifice. Accountability is a form of love. So the last step, drawing the line with my neighbor. You usually heard the phrase of drawing a line in the sand. So when we say, okay, here and no further. How does this work when we need this to have this accountability relationship with our brother or our neighbor? Leviticus 19.17 tells us to rebuke directly. The word means to correct. But it also has the idea of reasoning together. This is not a one-sided conversation. 
The implication is that this is something that's done face to face. Thus, John Wesley proposes that we should rarely reprove anyone for something that's a disputable nature. So we draw the line with our neighbor, talk face to face, and again we have in this verse the low bar of the law. The reason given in Leviticus 19.17 for the reason why we have this face to face correction with our neighbor. So I don't get guilt. It's that low bar again. The reason is not because I love you, the but because I don't hate you and I don't want your bad deeds to have a negative effect on me. That's the low bar of the law. Can you imagine this? After church, me and my family and I'll pick on Bernice. Bernice goes out to lunch with our family. And Bernice is just swearing a whole lot during lunch. Okay, I expected all those laughs. laughs. And so I say to Bernice, would you please not swear? Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. And besides, when you swear in public, it makes me look bad. That's the law. But we're supposed to do this out of love. Now, the, uh, our denomination began as the Wesleyan Methodist Connection. It was officially formed in 1843. They had a conference in Utica, New York. And it was a group of ministers and laymen that were having this meeting to decide whether or not they were going to split from the Methodist Episcopal Church. The split was primarily over objections to slavery. They had to decide if they were going to give their country a formal rebuke. And this is, can you imagine this is happening in churches? Part of what spurred this on is you might have a... now. Preachers were on circuits. You got assigned to what churches you were going to preach at. And can you imagine if you had a church of a lot of people who were against slavery, but the pastor assigned to come in and preach to them had slaves. That was a problem. Or the reverse. You've got a pastor who is an abolitionist, and he's assigned to preach in a church where most of the congregation owns slaves and thinks it's okay. They're having some disruption. And my understanding of, as it's come to this point, is that it's not that most Methodists thought slavery was a good thing. In fact, from the history books I've read, Methodists thought slavery in general was a bad thing, but some people thought this is an evil that God will take care of and it will go away on its own. And other people thought this is an evil and God wants us to make it go away. So, in our history, we hear about Orange Scott, who presided over the meeting. 
Other attendees were LeRoyce Sunderland. He had been tried and stripped of his ordination for writing anti-slavery writings. And Luther Lee was there, a minister who later operated an underground railroad station in Syracuse, New York. These people had decided, you know what, we've got to draw the line. Not because we hate our brothers, but because we love people. You know, John Wesley was also in a situation where there was disagreement on what was clear and what was disputable things. It was John Wesley who was one of the people influencing Wilbur Wilberforce regarding slavery in Britain. And he wrote, he wrote letters and articles to his bishops in the United States. And to me, and I'm an outsider looking in, the disagreement in the United Methodist Church today over homosexual behavior sounds to me reminiscent of our Methodist history as they drew a line in the sand over slavery. We're trying to figure this out, but it's all out of love. So John Wesley gives us these three points. When we have to draw the line in the sand. First, we need to do so with a spirit of love. I do this because I care about others, not because I care about being right. I draw a line because I care about others, not because I care about being right. Number two, a spirit of humility. I need to realize that I and even the church sometimes have not always gotten it right in the past. Sometimes the church has not drawn the line in the correct place. And third, a spirit of meekness and lowliness. That means it's done with strength, but it's not done in anger. And that's how we make accountability express itself in love. You know, a core part of our history as a denomination is accountability. The early band meetings would ask each other, how does it go with your soul? Do you desire to be told of your faults? Hey, I'm not beating around the bush here. What sins have you committed since we met last? What temptations have you faced and how were you delivered from them? These are questions of love. Not questions about wanting to be right. And it's also done in humility because guess what? The person asking, the people asking those questions, it gets turned around on them. Next. Accountability is a form of love. Let's do it. Let's pray. From Psalm 119, you are righteous, Lord, and your judgments are just. The decrees you issue are righteous and altogether trustworthy. Sometimes my anger overwhelms me because my foes forget your words. 
but your word is completely true, and I love it. Even if I am despised, I will not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting. Your instruction is true. Your decrees are righteous forever. So give us all understanding so that we may live. Lord, today you you didn't live by the low bar of saying, Humanity, I just don't hate you. You loved us when we did not love you and sent your son. Let us not follow the wrong example of just going around not hating people, but loving people, knowing that love means we need to speak. And let us not just speak words of correction, let us speak words of life. Let us speak words of love. Let us speak words of Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus who gives us his spirit so that we may live under grace. Yeah.